infrastructure planners and developers, dependence upon supply chains for necessary materials can be fraught with uncertainty, with challenges coming from geopolitical events, economic instability, and market-impacting phenomena such as a global pandemic. It becomes incumbent to leverage proper planning and emerging technology to help offset supply chain disruptions that otherwise would be outside an organization's control. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese. And on this episode of If When, I was joined by Hilma Jimenez, Jacob's Vice President and Market Strategist of Global Program Management. With more than 30 years of experience in the management of engineering companies and projects, Hilma's diverse and extensive background encompasses various roles within the engineering consulting field. During the discussion that follows, Helma shared her insights on the factors putting pressure on supply chains today and the strategies that organizations can take to minimize their risks, as well as some examples of emerging technology useful in addressing supply chain challenges in the construction industry. Well, Helma, thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to be talking about supply chains and some of the, uh, the implications of supply chain challenges within infrastructure and major construction, and really just kind of like what we see the landscape is looking like now and where it will be going. So you are, of course, a, a supply chain expert at Jacobs, and uh, I'm really looking forward to talking with you and, and unpacking uh, you know, the topic of supply chains with you today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. I am too. I am too. So let me uh, kind of to start us off, let's just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what do you see are some of the uh, the major factors that are putting pressure on supply chains today? Well, that's a good question, Paul. And I guess to start, I would want to describe what we call a stable supply chain. So I would say a stable supply chain is a system that is able to deliver the right goods or services in the right quantities at the right locations and at the right time, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can see over the last three years, a whole bunch of events have happened that have had a destabilizing impact on the supply chain, anything from the pandemic to high interest rates to geopolitical instability. And I would say it's those last two, the geopolitical instability and soaring inflation that are really causing the greatest pressure on supply chains. Most of the things have subsided, the elements that caused disruption during the pandemic, but those two, I would say, are, are still having significant pressure. Oh, that's interesting. And I know like during during the pandemic, you know, it was uh, a lot of focus was put on like onshoring of goods and services. There was a lot of interconnectivity and interdependency on a global stage. And then that led to in, in many uh, instances like shortfalls and life essential services and things like that. And then the supply chain you know, ecosystem had to kind of write itself. Manufacturers had to bring things back to, like, for instance, they had to onshore stuff in the United States to offset that. Now, of course, you know, with like, um, like you said, the geopolitical incidents and the, and the 
the economic pressures. It's really fascinating, like how that is, uh, in many ways, negatively impacting the ability to get goods and services, and you know, it raise, raises costs for production. Now, that said, I'm not an economist, so um, I'm sure I'm like kind of like wildly oversimplifying that there. But uh, that said, can you talk to us a little bit about the implications of these supply chain challenges that are being experienced, you know, in, in infrastructure and major construction projects. You know, how is that how is that in, impacting those? Yeah, yeah. The effects on infrastructure construction have been strong and have really caused a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I would say, for one, the first thing we can think about is cost. Cost of materials is probably one of the greatest costs of any infrastructure project. Mm -hmm. And so what we saw beginning at the pandemic is we saw great instability and some of these geopolitical incidents that we've seen Mm -hmm. cause real destabilization on the availability of goods or the transport, being able to get it to the right locations at the right time. Mm -hmm. And so the cost for you know, would say bread and butter construction um, materials increased tremendously. And though a lot of things have subsided, because we've been struggling with inflation, costs are still way off balance in comparison to what we've seen mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic. In fact, I saw a recent study uh, from Oxford Economics that where they were predicting that they expect that even after we get to what we call stability, Mm-hmm. Uh, we expect that prices are going to be at least 15% higher than what they were before. So that's the cost of materials. The next major cost in infrastructure, let's say contractor pricing. Mm-hmm. And contractors, interestingly enough, they finance a lot of construction projects for the advanced purchases of equipment or materials and whatnot. And given the fact that inflation has risen at the fast pace at which it rose over the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. uh, you've seen a lot of central banks uh, fighting inflation by increasing interest rates. So increased financing costs for contractors results in even greater costs for infrastructure construction. And contractors have very tight margins. I mean, they don't really have you know, some could be within the three to 5%. And so all of a sudden, if you have a major material increase substantially, that really has uh, a destabilizing effect on construction, which has led a lot of major owners try to figure out prioritization, given the fact that their funding has not increased at the pace in which inflation has, has risen. And then I would say perhaps the biggest impact right now is competition for materials. So starting in 2021, we saw like the G20 countries put forth stimulus packages to the tune of about $4.3 trillion worth so as to boost their economies. Mm -hmm. And the result of that is, is that you have then all these countries fighting for the same materials and the same labor at the same time. So that is an additional pressure now that although 
prices have subsided, the availability of some materials is not as plentiful as before. And so therefore, still more impacts onto construction. And then last but not least, I would say then is labor. That $4.3 trillion worth of new infrastructure requires a lot of labor that does not necessarily exist in the countries uh, that are putting forth those big packages. So now you're seeing migration, changes of migration of people uh, in terms of the trades, as well as in terms of professional services around the globe to meet the needs of these stimulus programs. So it's really fascinating. And a lot of like, I think a lot of what you shared, these pressures, I mean, they're, they're really largely outside of the control of, um, you know, organizations and enterprises that are like sponsoring, you know, these infrastructure projects, right? You know, it's the supply chain, the goods and services are, are coming from, you know, abroad or whatnot, or, you know, they're being, they're getting costs that are being passed through from contractors and suppliers and things like that. And of course, inflation and some instability there in terms of the economy or the pricing, you know, they're having to try to keep pace with that and project where it's going to go and, and uh, seek funding. I, I, I'm assuming they have to they have to like seek funding, sufficient funding to account for that instability so that they don't have some shortfalls and then have to deal with that as well. So, you know, that said, all, all these challenges, right, and they're not at all insignificant, but, you know, what strategies can organizations take to minimize risks and potential increased costs in their supply chains? Yeah, there are quite a few things that we've seen and we've actually helped clients uh uh, Jacob's clients to do over these last three years of instability. Mm-hmm. and But a lot of it starts off with increased visibility. So we're talking about digitization or digitalization, right? Making sure that we are creating platforms where clients can see all of their portfolio and giving it one big view mm-hmm. where you can actually, it provides the benefits of them being able to be nimble Hmm. and actually maximize their buying power, right? If I have four buildings that I'm constructing within a program Hmm. and I am able to then do advanced purchasing of certain materials at a greater quantity than just one material, materials for one individual building at a time, Hmm. it gives gives owners uh, some leverage as to what to do. And then I would say, Along with the digitization and digitalization comes then the next arm, which is artificial intelligence and machine learning, right? Uh, For instance, at Jacobs, uh, we've collaborated with an AI firm Mm -hmm. and we have developed a supply chain risk management tool. It's a platform that really is able to aggregate large data sets and analyze patterns and uh, make different correlations uh, mm-hmm. to try to understand predictively and prescriptively um, different scenarios as to what could affect your supply chain for your construction. What that does is that it opens up a whole bunch of ideas and opportunities for innovation, specifically early on in construction, where you know you may want to go with these set of materials or over these other ones. And 
you know, it's also opened up opportunities for ESG, environmental social governance uh, mm -hmm. improvements, because prior to the pandemic, you know, what we had is in many cases, we had innovative ideas or innovative materials that we could use, but those tended to be higher in cost, right? Mm -hmm. And so now having this opportunity of seeing a plethora of what your supply chain is on one platform, you may choose to go with one of these innovative materials, which now in comparison to the volume that you're using, the costs are probably more effective in comparison to some of the traditional materials that you would have used. Hmm. So I would say a lot of new strategies. We're also seeing contractors, rather agencies. We're also seeing agencies doing things such as advanced purchasing and hedging of materials, you know, which helps them, gives them more control where it comes to the availability of goods, perhaps at a higher price, but gives them more control in terms of the schedule uh, of their construction programs. Hmm. So somewhat related to that, you know, and then we were kind of looking at this macro uh, level of like the global supply chain and you know, talking about like onshoring and things like that. But, you know, it does have downstream uh, impacts at the local level and the local economies, you know. So in the context of infrastructure related materials, you know, what kind of ramifications are supply chain challenges having on lo local economies? You know, what are those downstream effects? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, they've been varied, right, from location to location. But mm -hmm. definitely competition for certain goods is is really posed challenges, particularly for some of the smaller owners. Mm -hmm. Some of the bigger owners, what they have really been doing is they've had to rely on a lot of early collaboration mm -hmm. uh, with uh, suppliers within their areas. But in some locations, you know, the availability of certain goods is just not there. And so then that causes a whole ripple effect down the supply chain. And where it comes to some large owners in some areas, we have seen that based on their needs, timing is of the essence. And so instead of worrying about costs where they have more, more money than time, what we've seen them do is go beyond collaboration to just buying entire supply chains. So as an mm -hmm. example, we've seen some clients who have major construction projects around the globe mm -hmm. where they have huge need for, let's say, steel. Mm -hmm. So instead of just collaborating or buying up all the steel in their area, what they are doing is buying mines, mm. if you can imagine. So you go to the very beginning of your supply chain and buy the entire chain, which then within mm. that local area, you know, you probably now have to go get materials from way further away or finding mm. totally new supply chains because there are less of those available to you. Mm. That's interesting. You know, it makes me think of, you know, quite frankly, it makes me think of like China. Uh, and its activities in Africa, for instance, about how it's like really trying to corner the market on like precious metals and stuff and like things that go into microchips, you know, kind of the aggressive pursuit that they have there where they're buying the raw materials, you know, so they can kind of probably to control their costs, you know, but there's also probably a, 
I'm sure a geopolitical play there as well, you know, in, in its competition with the West, but it's really fascinating. And it, it, it seems to make sense that if these organizations or these entities are able to purchase the raw goods, like a mine, you know, that there's some cost efficiencies there, you know, to, to do that rather than having to buy it, you know, from a retailer or whatnot. Um, absolutely absolutely they and you, but you can see now where it is that if you have a group of owners in a local market competing mm -hmm. against a government i mm -hmm. mean chances are they're not going to win right like the right. example you just gave of of, of china uh, mm -hmm. buying goods in africa well that that for the local economy now they may be relying on importing goods that they did not have to import mm -hmm. previously so mm -hmm. that then that creates needs for new supply chains and a rebalancing of the mm -hmm. overall system. Wow, that's fascinating. So kind of weaving into that, like how you deal with that kind of a situation where you've got larger players and you have smaller players that maybe have to be creative in how they deal with, I don't have the buying power of People's Republic of China, but I still need to get like my my goods or whatever. So, you know, how can I how can I uh, assess the market and assess, you know, when and how and the best time to, to purchase things. And then coming back to what you had said earlier about Jacobs deploying like artificial intelligence and its dashboards and helping clients with the data sets understand uh, those supply chain pressures and when to act and, and how. Can you share some examples that you find to be particularly interesting of how emerging technologies are being deployed in the construction industry to solve, you know, supply chain challenges. Absolutely. People have had to, we've all had to be, get quite creative over the last three years. And, mm -hmm. and, and I would say originally there was some thought that this was just going to be a bump in the road, but mm -hmm. so many things have changed structurally over the last three years that mm -hmm. we foresee quite a bit of instability in the years to come. So I would say one of the major changes we have seen is perhaps not such a new thing, but an old new thing coming back into the market has to do is uh, with modular construction. Mm -hmm. So currently only about 5% of all new commercial and residential construction is mm -hmm. modular. Mm -hmm. Uh, however, some studies have shown that modular construction can speed up construction by as much as 50% and reduce costs by as much as 20%. And so you can see then the, how modular construction can be have a game-changing effect in terms of uh, the ability to meet some of the pressures that we have going on right now in the market. It also has improvements to things such as like waste reduction, which is also another significant cost in construction, in infrastructure construction is waste reduction. Mm -hmm. And then, then you also have the, the benefits of improved quality control. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, modular construction is also uh, having a positive effect where it comes to labor needs. As you may recall, I talked about the $4.3 trillion worth of infrastructure some time ago. And, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and it's really difficult to keep up with that need in terms of labor. 
And so what modular construction is doing is, is that it's offering new entrants into the construction market. For instance, some people are not interested in working, you know, out in the field, but they may be more amenable to working in factory conditions where it's more like a nine to five kind of sort of scenario. And so we're seeing new entrants into the construction industry, as well as then the fact is, is that a lot of these manufacturing plants that do modular components for construction are also starting to bore in more into technology mm-hmm. elements such as robotics, for instance. That is attracting more millennials into the industry who may not be, again, interested in working out in the field and construction, but they mm-hmm. are working inside of a more controlled uh, and tech jobs within construction. So those are starting to, to increase. And in terms of some interesting examples, I would say another thing that we have really seen has somewhat advanced over the last three years mm-hmm. is the ways in which we've been helping clients with program management. Now, in typical historical construction projects, what you have is you have a scenario where you know, one team does some design and then they put it out to another team to finish the design and then Mm -hmm. another team that actually lets it out and a contractor who goes about negotiating prices with their subconsultants. What program management does is that gives the ability to bring all of those players Mm -hmm. on day one to the table. And so at Jacobs, we've had more than 50 years worth of experience doing program management on some of the most challenging large global programs around the world. Mm-hmm. And so what we are helping clients do is understand early on, well, more of this and less of this and actually timing things mm-hmm. as well as helping them pull together logistics programs for the entire thing. So given that big overall view Mm-hmm. It's been huge. And last but not least, what it's also doing is, is that it's giving us the ability to produce that transformational change with the same dollars that mm-hmm. those entities have. Uh, in some construction projects, you know, you're so concerned about one piece of infrastructure and then there's potential missed opportunities for producing transformational change within certain communities or even legacy improvements as it relates to the values of entities. So I would say those two, they're not specific in terms of actual uh, new technologies, but there are definitely more things that we're starting to see in specifically on larger projects mm-hmm. um, uh, as ways of managing through the uncertainty that the times in which we live and require. Uh, It's fascinating. And then my last question for you is kind of a, uh, where do we go from here type of question. And, you know, you've, you've shared like a number of ways that we're currently using emerging technology to offset some of the, the challenges that we have that we're faced with now. Uh, Also, you know, dealing with like the, the geopolitical and uh, the economic challenges, but Let's kind of fast forward just a little bit, you know, to the near future. Where do you see the emerging challenges coming 
from next? And what do um, organizations, in your estimation, what do organizations need to do now to start offsetting for those? Yeah, one big one I would say is cybersecurity, because along on the one hand, I said increased visibility is something that a lot of agencies are doing. Well, the other hand to that is cybersecurity. Once you digitize your entire supply chain, mm -hmm. um, you know, there are definitely some vulnerabilities that that clients need to uh, plan for. Mm -hmm. the, the other big one I would say is climate change, right? There are certain materials that will probably continue to grow at disproportionate rates. And I would say anything that is related to carbon and fossil fuels, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, steel, for instance, is actually an energy rich, what we would call an energy rich material, because it requires a lot of fuel, a lot of energy to produce the final goods. And so over the next few years, as you know, many entities around the globe are coming up with mitigation strategies mm -hmm. to control and uh, the use of carbon and fossil fuels. And so materials that rely on fossil fuels for their production will probably have greater costs until when we're able to switch over to some other uh, sources of materials. I would also say climate change is something else that clients need to really have clear in their mind where it comes to severe droughts and, and shipping and transportation, understanding where the goods in their infrastructure improvements are coming from. Mm -hmm. So for instance, uh, there has been severe drought this year, starting probably last year and to peak through 2024 in Panama. And so Panama, you know, uh, droughts in Panama means a reduction in vessel draft debt. So the, the amount of the vessel that goes below the water, mm -hmm. that has been reduced. They've reduced that twice this year and reduced the number of vessels because they don't have enough water mm -hmm. to service the canal. And so if you can imagine then materials that come from Asia mm -hmm. to the East Coast of the Americas, mm -hmm. uh, and in some cases, even Europe, you know, it means longer times to get there or, or additional costs mm -hmm. to get there. I, I'm originally from Panama, so I'm always fascinated by, by things happening in the country. And I was just there recently, earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, as kids, we learn how to swim in one of the dams that feeds the canal. That's where we would go. Our wow. parents would take us on the weekends uh, to learn how to swim. And when we went this year, it was amazing to see how low the water was really at, at the one particular the dam, which mm -hmm. is called Madden Dam. Uh, and so understanding where the goods and services are coming from mm -hmm. is going to be huge. I think last but not least, in terms of, again, major elements, I think really keeping an eye on labor. Uh, you know, we put $4.3 trillion worth of infrastructure around the globe, but very few of those packages had dollars associated with training programs to increase the number of people within the industry 
Mm-hmm. And which in many cases, a lot of them uh, retired early during the pandemic, earlier than what they would have. Mm-hmm. So I believe we're going to start seeing more entities come up with migration, immigration policies to be able to get labor in time in different parts of the of, around the globe. Mm-hmm. So I expect that over the next two years, you're probably going to be seeing some rebalancing of the system. And to the point that you made earlier, Paul, uh, mm-hmm. probably some uh, reshoring and or nearshoring mm-hmm. uh, of certain supply chains. But chances are that they're not going to completely localize, right? Deglobalization is probably going to have some growth, but we don't. We're not expecting that would be a complete. I'll go back to the things that were a hundred years ago. Yeah, because I think that the way that the economy is structured now, there's just too many cost efficiencies that organizations and governments are able to realize by offshoring certain components of their supply chains and things like that. And those aren't going to go away entirely. You know, even if like a a pandemic were to expose, you know, certain weaknesses in the supply chain, it doesn't mean that the entire supply chain is broken. It just means, like you said, it needs to be rebalanced, you know, and, and they'll, they need to find those efficiencies. And I'm assuming technologies like uh, artificial intelligence and, and whatnot, data analytics will allow for modeling, greater modeling to kind of like do those kind of if then type of scenarios. If this is if this happens, or if we're seeing this weakness or sensitivity here, then how do we adjust and and all of that? So um and I'd say I'd say to that point, I mean, that's probably one of the things that we had to pivot quite quickly during the pandemic in terms mm-hmm. of the support of our clients. And we've been able to be quite efficient and effective is actually developing some unique tools. Mm-hmm. to help clients understand not only what the impacts of things are in good times at the beginning, right. but also coming up with models, pricing models, unique pricing models that mm-hmm. account for major elements in terms of commodities, climate change, global instability. We have scenario planning. What happens if, in fact, there is a conflict in Taiwan? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all of those available to us now, which help, it helps clients then make a decision of, well, you know what, I'm not going to use that material because the instability and the potential cost to the overall system or to the timing of the program is mm-hmm. too substantial. And so we'll rely on something else. Yeah, oh, very fascinating. Well, Helma, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me and sharing your expertise on uh, supply chains. Uh, uh, I think it's very fascinating and it's such a such a complicated science that goes into studying the supply chains and everything has a supply chain these days. And there's like innumerable challenges and pressures and factors that have to be accounted for, you know, when uh, transacting goods and, and creating things. So I appreciate you sitting down and uh, sharing your wisdom. And I enjoyed our talk today. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it as well.